one of the other unusual things about this election is the ferocity of President Trump's campaigning, both in volume and what he's talking about in the final days. Here's a little bit of what he's done in the last three days. Republicans want strong borders, no drugs, no gangs, and we want no caravans. Thank you. Democrats are openly encouraging millions of illegal aliens to break our laws, violate our sovereignty, overrun our borders, and destroy our nation. There's some bad people, as I said the other bad hombres. There's some bad hombres in that group. Chief White House Correspondent John Carl here with me. The president, every single day for the last week, has done everything he can to put the focus on the border. George, with a president presiding over an economy as good as this one, you would expect there to be almost a morning in America message, stay the course, uh, the economy's booming, let's keep with this. But instead, it is midnight in America in Trump's campaign rallies. He is counting on fear and loathing to rally his base. It is a gamble. The gamble here is that they need to get Republicans as energized as clearly the Democrats have been. And largely they've done it. You see it in the, the intensity in our polls. 80% of both sides are saying that they're definitely going to vote. Uh, so you see that's worked. But the gamble here is, is he alienating those independent and moderate voters in the suburban districts where the battleground for the House will be, will be fought? It's a serious risk. They've gotten their base as energized as they've ever been. Going to those rallies, I'm telling you, you see Trump supporters as energized as they were in 2016, but they are alienating a lot of moderates. Even though, Cecilia Vega, that argument many times at odds with the facts. Uh Completely. In fact, we've seen not just a campaign in the last two, three weeks based on fear mongering, but on misinformation and completely spreading falsehoods. I'm struck by our poll, the number on immigration, how it ranks in terms of important issues for people. Sixth out of seven issues. That hasn't changed despite President Trump's repeated hammering on this issue. So it really has the potential to backfire. Martha Raddatz, one of the things the president hasn't been deterred by is sort of a pushback from the military. Now, 15,000 troops uh, heading to the border. The cost could be up to $200 million uh, by the end of the year. General Mattis is going along with it, not so much former leaders. Uh, definitely not some former leaders, including the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Martin Dempsey, who tries to stay out of politics, couldn't help himself this week, tweeting, our men and women in uniform are better trained, better equipped, and better led so they meet any threat with confidence, but a wasteful deployment of overstretched soldiers and Marines would be made much worse if they use force disproportional to the threat they face. They won't. I think that was kind of a, look, guys, don't, don't pull your guns out if people are throwing rocks. We heard President Trump talk about that. If there are rock throwers coming at them, uh, they will be seen as firearms. He did back off of that, and I have to think someone like Secretary Mattis got to him. Those troops will not follow any kind of a legal order, disproportionate force. Plus, they're back there with concertina wire. And that, just, just as John and Cecilia are saying, and you are saying as well, it's those images. He is appealing to that base. He's got soldiers down there, the military, and helmets, and, and body armor, and concertina wire. Those are the images that his base will see, and he thinks the migrants as well. Spring and Chris Christie, Republican, former governor of New Jersey, Trump ally as well. Address the, the, the argument that John Carl was making there. Is it wise to be focused? Focusing on this when you've got an economy going gangbusters. Well, I, I think two things. I think one, there you see that there's some real division on the who gets credit for the economy um, among some voters. But secondly, George, I think they've made a strategic decision, which is the House is much more difficult for them than the Senate. They have a bunch of red state Democrats 
who they want to try to get out of the Senate. And I think what you're seeing with the president is he's made a strategic decision that his ability to claim victory on election night will be by adding seats in the United States Senate. And he doesn't want to take the risk of looking like he's doing, yeah. trying too hard in the House because then he may get blamed you, for losing you, you, there. You started out saying they, but this is really being driven by him, isn't well, it? Well, George, as I've said to you many times over the last nine, ten months, he is his own strategist. And he does not listen to other people generally in terms of political strategy. And you see this from getting involved in Republican primaries um, early on this year, which you very, very rarely would see presidents do. He's gotten involved in many of them, and a lot of the candidates that we have on the ballot today are because of the president's direct intervention. So he is his own strategist. So when I say they, I'm using the royal. <laughs> the, the royal they. Donna Brazil, one of the things we're seeing, picking up on what Chris was saying about the Senate strategy, are Democratic Senate candidate, candidates like Claire McCaskill kind of aligning themselves with the president on this immigration issue. Uh, there's no question that she is facing an uphill battle in Missouri, a state that Donald Trump claimed. But, you know, George, if Democrats win on Tuesday, it's because they are campaigning on hope, they are focusing on, on health care, and they are also trying to overcome the odds in these uh, midterm elections by trying to fuel independents and millennials to come to, uh, come to the polls. We see an increase in uh, what we call infrequent voters who are now more engaged. They are more positive about voting. That's a plus sign for Democrats. But are, you know, that, that, that's the hope with the early vote for Democrats, Matthew Dow. But one of the things we saw back in 2016 is that those voters didn't come out, particularly Latino voters, didn't vote in, in higher numbers despite the president's rhetoric on immigration. Well, I, I think this election, like the Trump, like the President Trump's presidency has a whole unique batch of characteristics in, as we go into mid, the midterm. Our poll, just to touch again on our poll, our poll actually looks a lot like 2006. In, in 2006, the ABC poll said Democrats had a six-point advantage. They won by eight points. George Bush's job approval rating was almost exactly where Donald Trump's is today. But there's unique circumstances. We've never had a president go into an election with an economy like this with a job approval in the low 40s. We've never had that before. And we've never had an election where both sides have been motivated. Almost always, one side is more motivated well, yeah, than the other side. I want, I want to pick up on that and bring this to John Carl as well, because I remember 1994 very well. President Clinton did not go out and campaign a, a lot in the final days. The Democratic base was depressed. This is what's different about this election this time around. In an off-year election, Republicans are engaged. They're not looking like they're going to stay home. No, and, and, and if you go back, if you go back pre-Kavanaugh, there was real concern among Republicans that they were just not as energized. And the idea, driven by the president, but also by some of his political advisors, is you had to find a way to get the base that turned out in 2016 riled up and fired up to vote this time. So the president's thrown himself right into this. I mean, he is out there nonstop. But, George, to the point about the House, he's not even touching any of the areas with, with, with the competitive House district. No, they, they don't want him there. He's not going there. He's campaigning solely in the final stretch in states that he won, campaigning in the areas of those states where he is popular. George, let me just say this. I think if we're looking forward to Tuesday night, two places to look as to what kind of night it's going to be is the Florida Senate race and the Wisconsin governor's race. In the Florida Senate race, you have the two-term governor against a long-term incumbent, Bill Nelson, against Rick Scott. And in Wisconsin, you have a very close governor's race, Scott Walker looking for a third term, the fourth time he's run in eight years. It's going to tell us a lot about voters, how they feel about politicians. And in those states that were so key to the presidential election, we're going to see what happens there in terms of that Republican intensity you're talking about. If Scott and Walker win, then I think 
it's going to be a decent night for Republicans. Those are two different. But Matthew Dow, you may you, you you've been talking about the fact that we haven't been paying enough attention uh, to the governor's races right now. Huge potential that there are many flips uh, to Democrats on 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 the governor's races, and that could have a much higher long-term impact. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we're all every everyone in America is concerned about who's going to hold the House, who's going to hold the Senate. But really, fundamentally, when you look at politics going forward, as we have in the last 20 or 30 years, it's the governor's races, and it's the governor's races in purple states. To me, it's the governor. It's where Republicans have held the office: Florida, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Ohio. There is a real high chance that they lose in all of those places. And when they lose in those places, it not only affects what happens today; it not only affects what may happen in, in the 2020 presidential. It affects redistricting, which then they then draw the districts, which then goes forward. So, to me, is yes, we have two big things to watch: the House and the Senate. But for me, what's going to really impact what's going forward is those governor's races in purple states. And not only in purple states, down in Brazil, but everybody also looking at the possibility of having the first African-American governors of Florida and Georgia. George, it's, it's going to be a historic night. In addition to Andrew Gillum, Stacey Abrams, of course, Ben Jealous and, and the great state of Maryland, the African-American lieutenant governor candidates in several states, including Wisconsin, as well as Illinois, 42 percent of all of the Democratic nominees uh, this fall, gubernatorial, senatorial, as well as House candidates are women. So a Democratic wave depends on women coming out to vote, minorities and other infrequent voters. George, I was RGA chairman four years ago at the midterm. The map as bad, Republican Governors Association. Yes, Republican <laughs> Governors Association. As bad as the map is for Democrats on the Senate side, it's that bad for Republicans on the governor's side. Of the 36 governor's races, 26 are Republican defenses. And, and, and you, of course, you were a governor. Explain what that means in a presidential year to have a governor from your state in charge. It's, it's, you control the political apparatus in your state. You control who's counting the votes. <laughs> Most of the time, who is the secretary of state or the chief election officer. And going forward from there, you control redistricting after the census, or at least have a very large influence over it. So as Matthew very aptly put, it's not only what happens tomorrow, it's what's going to happen in 2021 and 2022 on redistricting these House seats, which will have a huge difference. That's been the Republicans' huge advantage. 09 and 10 set the stage for a Republican decade. And, and keep in mind that the president is the president today because he won three states in those purple states in the Midwest by less than 100,000 votes. And the likelihood that each of those has a either a small blue wave or a large blue wave is very high. Pennsylvania, Republicans have no chance. Michigan, it looks like the Democrats going to win the governor's race. And Wisconsin is a race that's very tight, but the Demo it leans in the Democrats' favor. That's where the president won the presidency. Martha Raddatz, Matt Dad just talks about Pennsylvania. You spent a lot of time with voters there in the state of Pennsylvania. That is one of the places where Democrats are hoping to pick up a, a raft of House seats. Exactly. And when, when you talk to voters in Pennsylvania, especially in those suburbs, and some of those who voted for Donald Trump, he has just gone too far. For many of them, there, there is there. He's too divisive for them. For them, Donald Trump is absolutely the issue. He's the issue, and we're likely to see also a very changing face of Celia Vega in Congress. No matter what happens on Tuesday night, record number of women running for the House. Record number of women, record number of LGBT candidates, uh, LGBTQ candidates. Donna just mentioned the record number of African Americans running. Uh, but I, I do want to say that we can focus on the president's travel in the last few weeks, and that tells us a lot about where he's looking. Just to go back to Matthew's comments on Florida, he's head, headed to Florida twice in the last week. He is very concerned about having to win that state, not just for now, but for 2020 also.
Hi everyone, George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch live event coverage, click on the right over here to subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to download the ABC News app for breaking news alerts. Thanks for watching.